Good evening, everyone. <laughs> I know, it's so funny. I feel like I'm on some, you know, TV drama from my childhood or something. But anyway, <laughs> thank you very much for coming out this evening. And thank you, Nick, for coming. This is the official launch of the 8th Peter Ash Thriller. Right. Thank you, thank you. The price you pay. And I'm happy to say that Nick has been here once on video for all of them, right? I think so, yeah. Yep. Yeah, only during COVID we had to miss one. Uh, but we did that virtual. I know, that's what I said. Yeah, yeah no, I know. So all, all books together. I absolutely love it. I had a phone call from Nick's publisher when his first book came out, and they said, we have this book about a guy who's living under a porch, and we're not entirely <laughs> sure where it's going, but we think it's really good, and we <laughs> haven't organized much for it, and so would you be willing to have him come out to Scottsdale? So we're always game for debut novels, love debut novels. Uh, so Nick appeared, right? And it was January then, if I remember. Yeah, no, it's been January uh, every year except for this year because I missed a year, as you may or may not be aware of. Um, so then I lost my January slot. But, you know, February is almost as good. Actually, in some ways, probably better. The weather can be trickier in January. I say that as a person who grew up in Winnetka near Chicago, right, and right. you're living in Milwaukee, yeah. so the larger issue might be just getting out of <laughs> Milwaukee, right? It doesn't really matter if it's winter when you leave Milwaukee, as long as you can leave Milwaukee. <laughs> actually, actually, we got an extra with Nick, because he came out, you came out last year to talk to CJ, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, to CJ right. Box, and then a day later was JT Ellison, which, which was right. a bunch of fun, yeah. So it was like a winter break for a person who didn't have a book. He didn't really want to miss out. I love that. Right. So in our new book, The Price You Pay, it's freezing, and we're in Milwaukee. We're also in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Right. So traveling about the Midwest. But before we go any further, you have people here from Milwaukee. How many of you are from Milwaukee? Isn't that wow. wonderful? I just love it. Look That's at awesome. <laughs> well, that <laughs> Milwaukee adjacent. A wise decision, beating the <laughs> beating the weather and all. So I think that's really great. It Although really we could great. have pretended that they all flew here just for this event <laughs> instead of they were hiding out for better weather. But so it goes. Anyway, yes, Nick was at his home bookstore, Boswell's in Milwaukee, last night. How'd that go? It was pretty good. We had uh, <coughs> 180 people, something like oh, that. Oh, a small oh, event. Oh yeah, no, it was it was um, surprising, uh, in a really good way. Um, and I was interviewed by Bill Schweiger, who you, I think you know. Um, he wrote The Guilty One. Mm -hmm. um, and Bill is uh, hilarious, but managed to be less profane than usual. <laughs> um, he, was, he was in the Coast Guard, so I ah. think that's just part of, part of the thing. Part of his shtick, yeah. so to speak. Um, and it was a lot of fun. It was good. Um, it was, uh, it's really nice to be back doing this again. I didn't realize quite how much I missed um, talking to readers and how much a part of my life that has become and how much it fuels me for <laughs> the many, many weeks and months spent in my office staring at a screen. Um, so I, I really do appreciate your, your coming out on a rainy night. I do, too. I warned him, you know, because generally Phoenicians are weather whims, but now that I know that a lot of them are from Milwaukee, I understand why they're here. <laughs> so how many of you, if, have all of you read all of Nick's books or any of you new to Nick at all? You are. Well, I want to encourage you to read the first two. You're here tonight. But I think I love the concept in the first one. But the second book, Burning Bright, has what I still consider the best chase scene I have ever read. It's absolutely brilliant. And so if you enjoy tonight, I really recommend we have some copies up there. It's just terrific. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. So where are we with this book? Tell us, tell us whatever you'd like to tell us about well, this is the maybe book. why it took you so long. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's actually all connected. Um, so this is the book that uh, readers have been asking me for a book uh, kind of about Lewis, really since the beginning. Um, Lewis first shows up in the first book. He's been in every book since. Well, actually, he, he wasn't in the Iceland book, but um, he is such a favorite of fans. And so the, you know, and I have sort of said yes, I would like to do this, but I couldn't quite, uh, I couldn't quite get there. Um, and so for this one, uh, Peter is, um, usually right, P Peter is, uh, gets in trouble or is trying to help somebody else who's in trouble and things get, things get bad enough that Peter needs to call Lewis in. 
Um, and so in this book, it's actually the reverse. So uh, Lewis is the one who's in trouble, and, and he ends up calling on Peter for help. So I get to reverse some of that stuff. Um, but part of the challenge was that um, I, I thought a lot about Lewis's past life, which I've sort of hinted at. I, I sort of have known more or less what it is all along. Um, but I started doing kind of doing the math. And so if, if Lewis and his crew, um, and, and, and if you've read The Drifter, you've met Nino and Ray already. Um, so if, if they were in business for 10 years, robbing drug dealers, basically, was their, what they did. Um, and if they did uh, 10 jobs a year, and if every job five people got killed, that's 500 people. So I had to kind of figure out, like I didn't want to, I didn't want to to tone him down. I didn't, I, I mean, he he is a, he is as Peter says the most dangerous man he's ever met, right? Lewis is is a, is a real force. So I had to sort of figure out how to, um, like how to reconcile that with who Lewis is today, right? Lewis has become a family man. Lewis, um, in again in the first book, got to be reunited with uh, his childhood sweetheart. Um, and it was, uh, I, I don't know, I sort, of, I, I sort of came to this so that, that it was, Lewis was sort of on a moral crusade, so I, I, I filled in Lewis's past a little bit more, and I gave Lewis some rules um, that he had devised for himself, sort of like rules of engagement in the Army. Um, and some members of his crew are in line with that, and some not so much. Um, so that's part of what Lewis has to deal with uh, all along here. So that's that's sort of the... You know, that was in part the challenge. Um, I don't know what else I have to say about that. I don't know. Um, but I, I don't know. The, the other challenge is when you sh shift gears. So I wrote a, I, it's, I, I threw away five months worth of work. This is really why this thing took so freaking long. Um, because it just wasn't, it, I, I started writing about Lewis's past, and I couldn't get back into the present. I couldn't, um, I, it was. I really enjoyed it, and it was really interesting, but I just couldn't sort of pull it back into a modern-day Peter and Lewis book, which is really what my editor was expecting. Um, so I ended up, I threw it all away. Uh, I, I came to Tucson, and I asked all my writer friends if they'd ever had a book that died on the vine. Um, and except for C.J. Box, uh, pretty much everybody had, so that made me feel like uh, not, not as bad. I will interject here that, to some degree, Lewis must remind you of Nate Romanowski. You know, there are some real parallels there for C.J. Box. C.J. will be launching his new book here, as he has every single one of his right. books, which is now, whatever it is, 27, on Monday, February 26th. But we are going to move up to the United Methodist Church, which is up, up the road, not too far, um, because it'll be more, it'll be more comfortable. But um, I thought a lot when I was reading about Lewis about Nate because, you know, Nate was like Lewis with a bloody past and the whole bit. And then gradually he's acquired, you know, um, people that he has to care about and protect. And that's true. Greg Hurwitz will be here next Tuesday um, with... Um, Orphan X. Th thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. Evan. Yeah. Orphan X. I, I, I always get him. I never know which <laughs> one to call him. Is he Orphan X? Evan Smoke. But it's the same problem is that, you know, Evan now has people that, you know, remember how Superman would get in the phone booth? You know, he would change from mild minor Clark Kent boy reporter, you know, to Superman. And it was because if his if they knew he was Clark Kent, all the people that worked with him and all in Lois Lane would be endangered. So, you know, how do you deal with that if you are the kind of guy that Lewis or Nate or whatever is, or Orphan X, and then you acquire people that you care about? Right. Well, and there's the, I mean, <coughs> the, the other problem, right? If you are a novelist and you want to create a hero who is an essentially decent person, right? Like Joe Pickett is, 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 a, is one of the more decent human beings in crime fiction, right? That's true. That's why we have Nate, who so, doesn't right. so, have yeah, the so, same so, moral so scruples. So Nate doesn't have the scruples, and, <laughs> right. and it means that Joe gets to stay a little bit clean, right? And, and Lewis serves the same purpose. And you can, I mean, you can, you can look at Spencer and Hawk. Um, you know, Elvis Cole and Joe Pike are a little bit different. But, 
Um, oh, do you remember in Dennis Lahane's early? I books? was just going to say Bubba Rogowski. Bubba was the guy. Yeah. You know, I mean, a lot of those secondary sleuths have have morphed into um, you know computer guys. I mean, they don't need to be muscles so much as their information backup. Right. But you know, in a in a thriller. You can use those, but still it helps to have muscle backup for your guy. Sure. Well, and, and again, the problem with, you know, again, the goal for me as a writer is I want Peter to have some of that kind of Midwestern goodness to him, right? He's, he's, he's been through these experiences, um, but, you know, he does need Lewis to, you know, kind of show up and kick a little ass, you know, just every once in a while because Peter, Peter you would lose his sympathy, if he was that, whereas whereas Lewis gets to be somebody else entirely, um, and Lewis gets to be a little mysterious and a little bit dangerous, and there is this sort of sex appeal piece of that as a character, and that was actually another another challenge for me as a writer was I was really afraid that if I if I actually gave you more about who Lewis was, that he would lose that mystery. Um, but so that was sort of a needle to thread uh, as well. So I'm happy to say, since many of you are here from the Midwest, and we both are, that there's a sort of movement towards Midwest mystery at the moment. The middle of the country has been kind of ignored while, you know, everybody's in Boston or Los Angeles or something. But, you know, Ken Kruger has done very well. And there's a new one, a new woman, and we're down to one copy, so this is not a commercial pitch at the moment. But Amy Pease wrote a wonderful book called Northwoods, which is set in northern Wisconsin. And uh, Kent, in fact, joined me to do her um, her launch. Oh, nice. A virtual launch. Um, and there's several writers now who are using Wisconsin. There's another one in Iowa's name I can't remember. Um, and, you know, uh, I think it's, it's a neglected region, and I'm happy to see that there are now writers taking up, you know, the Midwest as a landscape. No, I, I agree, and I think, I think that's a, a – I mean, Kent is obviously an, an enormously talented writer, but I think that's a big part of his – appeal is that he writes about this part of the country that doesn't get a lot of attention. Um, and, you know, there are a, a whole bunch of people living here in the heartland, and there are a whole bunch of people who read books. Um, so, uh, you know, I think the, the, you know, the New York publishers who have no idea what happens, uh, you know, anywhere you know, west of... Between... No, my husband, who grew up in New York, when I started The Poison Pen in 1989, I could not get a single publisher in New York to think that anyone who lived here read books. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was a relentless campaign for like two years before, um, you know, we got anywhere. And now, because because of COVID and other things, they're kind of slipping back a little bit that way. Oh, yeah. You know, saying, oh, well, you can just do a virtual event, you know, because nobody... They don't want to say nobody actually reads out west and you know it all stops somewhere around ohio to send authors oh, and more like, i would say mm. pen eastern pennsylvania yeah. Is, yeah florida you know they go up and down the east coast or whatever but i remember my husband saying to me he said i grew up in new york and he said i can tell you that people who live in new york see over the hudson all they see is california um, and and yeah, to a great that's degree, a great line. to a great degree, that's true. Yeah. Um, and so it's going to take a little while to shake out the, you know, I mean, Zoom was great, and it got us all through the pandemic. Doug Preston actually said last night, sitting next to me, that all bookstores closed during the pandemic. I sat up like, <laughs> you know, wait. <laughs> no, I said there was at least one bookstore that didn't close during the pandemic. In fact, we just shifted all of our programming right into Zoom, which came along at the perfect moment. But it's not okay with me now if we're shifted into Zoom and we can't shift back. So I'm working on no, it. No, because there's not a substitute for this. No, uh, I mean, exactly. And... and the, the the booksellers I talk to about this stuff are like nobody shows up for Zoom in the way they show up for this, you know, or they'll they're they're not paying attention, and and they don't buy books from a Zoom, thing, right? Well, Which is we, important you know, if you run a bookstore. Can, we can make that work, but but the real difference is that um, if you're high virtual audience watching this, <laughs> it's like Netflix. I mean, it's like it's better television if we're talking here in the bookstore with people than if we are two little squares. On a screen, and for some, it's I mean unavoidable. It's not that I'm opposed to still doing some, but it's not okay with me if that's all we do. So I'm really glad to see you. Likewise, mm -hmm. likewise. This is always, I don't know. This is uh, uh, we were talking in the in the back room. This is a really important place for a lot of writers, and I I I, I hope you understand the role that you play in uh, this, uh, you know, in our lives in this ecosystem. 
Um, I, th this is one of my you know, favorite places in the world. Well, thank um, you. So I, I'm, I love to be here. We actually, because we're a not-for-profit bookstore, meaning I do this for fun, but everybody else gets paid, um, <laughs> we, are, we are willing to host debut authors in a way that many bookstores can't afford or doesn't or won't do. So, you know, if I went through the list of all the authors whose every book has been here, which starts with Don Winslow and Michael Conley and, you know, Lisa C. and just goes on forever, um, it, that's why. It's because when they first published, you know, we said, sure, love to. Um, and that was true with you, as I said. It they was. called, here's this guy under a porch. <laughs> you know, what are we going to do with it? <laughs> anyway, back to Lewis. So what I want to know is, um, did you decide on the um, diary device the first time around, or is this how you figured out that you could? This is the very beginning of the book, so no spoilers. Yeah, it's on the, if it's on the jacket flap, <coughs> we're allowed to talk about it. Right. Um, well, not necessarily all the way. But is that how you figured out how you could deal with Lewis in the past and Lewis in the present? Uh, no, the the notebooks thing, um, um, it 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 had, so so P Peter Lewis gets a gets a text from his one of his the the former members of his crew, uh, named Upstate Wilson, and not his actual name. Well, his, his actual name is Teddy, but he's been he's he ba in the in the in the bad old days he was known as Upstate because he lived in northern Wisconsin and everything was better upstate. Um, also, he, he may or may not have had a, an amphetamine problem, so he always was in an upstate. Um, um, but so he's, he sends Lewis sort of this distress signal, and so Lewis comes back from what he's doing, grabs Peter, and, and up they go into the teeth of a blizzard to um, you know, kind of see what's what. Uh, and the upshot is that um, Teddy, in his last job, got shot in the head. Um, and he survived, but he, he, he's different, right? So when you, when you have a traumatic brain injury, it changes your personality a little bit, and he's trying to recover his lost memories. He's become sort of a gentler soul, um, refused, became a vegetarian. He refused to slap mosquitoes, which in northern Wisconsin, again, is quite a, quite a statement. Um, <laughs> well, you, you want to be kind to all living creatures, right? Um, but so as part of his his rehabilitation, he has been sort of writing down all of his, all the things he remembers. And it turns out a lot of what he remembers are the jobs that he pulled with the heavy lifters, the crew. Um, and, you know, the first rule of doing major crimes is you don't write it down. Um, and so somebody has gotten wind of sort of who Teddy is. And they, they come in and their goal is to kill him. Uh, and to steal his notebooks. Uh, and then this, that's sort of the device that uh, sort of powers us through the rest of the story. Um, what information is in there? How do they, you, you know, what, what damage can it do, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it was, um, you know, it's a book where really everybody is at risk in a way that they really haven't been before. Um, did you feel okay about putting Dinah and the kids and even June at risk? You I know, wondered about that. You know, it, I... It was sort of the only, the only, uh, the stakes had to be really high, and this had to be almost operatic. Um, and I, I'm not a giant fan of books where, with sort of kids in peril, um, I, I'm, a, I'm a father, I sort of stopped reading all of that when my son was born. Um, but, you know, I, I guess, I mean, I did it in the first book as well, like Miles and Charlie are at okay. risk. Um but this is again kind of a different level, right? So it, I, I don't know. It, I don't know. I thought about it, but I kept going. I guess is the is the. Is the well, answer. I'm not being critical. I just wondered if it was something, you know, because I mean, you're not actually that kind of guy, and so I wondered how you were dealing with that. Well, so the you know crime writers, as you know, are generally pretty nice people, and it's because we get to kill all these people on the page because they do terrible things in the world and that sort of cleanses our psyche and we you know that allows us to you know all your murderous impulses uh, come out yeah, on the page exactly is that what exactly you're right and you right. can't go to jail if you don't actually do it so that's true so we're in Milwaukee we go to northern Wisconsin and then in attempting to work out who took the notebooks and what they're going to do with the information that um, Teddy 
has provided, uh, we go down to Chicago. So I thought that, you know, you, you haven't kept Peter in Milwaukee. You know, he's moved around geographically. Well, yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I've already done two books that were set entirely in Milwaukee, and I like moving Peter around. I, the, the second book, um, Milwaukee book, is The Breaker, and that, that was a the pandemic. I, I wasn't going to get on a plane and go do research. So it was like, oh, I guess I'm writing another Milwaukee book. Um, but um, I don't know. It's 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 fun. Like I I I did want Peter to have a little bit of a home. Um, you know, the the goal with this series is to have Peter sort of make progress toward a more complete life, from from living in his truck uh, or up in the mountains uh, in a tent to you know now he's shacked up with his sweetheart. He's uh, got some work that means something to him. Uh, but uh, you know, I I don't. I don't just want to write Milwaukee books. I would like to have him keep because I like writing about other places and I like like going other places. Well, I think with thrillers, you can't, you know, I mean, Reacher's an extreme, you know, never in the same place. But I do think um, you do need to move him around. I mean, there's a credibility problem if it's always taking on the evildoers in Milwaukee. <laughs> right. yeah. so, so I, I was talking to a Milwaukee cop not long ago, and he, I, I said, so is there, you know, is there organized crime in Milwaukee? And he just laughed and he said, no, there's only disorganized crime <laughs> in Milwaukee. Actually, that's not a bad book title, Disorganized Crime. You should think about that. That would be sort of fun if you had a kind of, you know, Abbott and Costello oh, sure. bunch of bad guys. And, you know, and so... Like, uh, like the Dortmunder books. Yeah, yeah, that might be... You guys read uh, Donald Westlake? The late great Donald yeah, Westlake, great yeah, Donald marvelous, Westlake. marvelous author, Donald E. Westlake, yeah. actually, who also wrote under a different name. Patrick, what did he also write under? Richard Stark. Yeah, yeah. Richard Stark. He wrote darker books. Yeah. Um, with a, we we're talking about Don Westlake. I couldn't remember, but it's Richard Stark was his yeah. other, yeah, yeah wonderful those are books. Fantastic. They really are. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, they, I mean, you could do sort of Dortmunder thing, but no, I mean, you know. Why not? This is such a dark book, you know. Maybe you might want to think about doing some sort of more comedic, <laughs> or at least disorganized crime. I'm enchanted with disorganized crime now. I have to say, it's really well, we got can, me. We can we can uh, talk about it at dinner. We'll, okay, we'll figure that right. out. Ah, he's let out the reason that authors always come here. <laughs> it's about dinner. We're, right. we're very well Dinner fed. before or dinner well after. Fed. I know it's a complete package, you know, then, which is another reason to fight to get on the plane. Actually, he sent a photo. He posted a photo today of himself on Instagram in the cabin, you know, with a, a selfie. And on I thought, this is a man who's really missed flying. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. The, it's, I, I, don't, the, the, I don't miss flying, per se. I do mi I miss this, right? So there are, there's all that stuff I have to do to get to do this. Have you started checking to see which kind of airplane you're on? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, I know. Airbus is the winner at the moment. Yeah, I know. I, I've really thought about that. I don't want to be in the one where they've left the bolts out. There are apparently yeah. more than one, yeah. as it all turns yeah. out. Yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah. Anyway, um, so what else can we talk about? Um, did you go to Chicago in January to research this book? Give yourself oh, sure. the full experience? Oh, yeah. No, the, I, I, I always like to go to the places that uh, I'm researching because there are um, – it's always different, right? Google only gets you so far. And what you – I'm really interested in sort of the visceral details um, of uh, kind of what you see. So um, like in – I wrote a book that was set in – uh, mostly in Denver, and, and going to Denver, I didn't realize how much of a frontier town it is. It really feels like a, you know, you can you stand and the, the, the east-west roads are, are so wide and you can see the flat iron, you see uh, the Rockies at the end, um, and it just feels like, and it's right on the edge of the plains. Um, and so to sort of capture that, I wouldn't have known how to, I wouldn't have known that that was a thing, let alone know that it was something that could be captured. And so in this, it's sort of that... Um, you know, how winter sort of, well, you may or may not know, you Wisconsin folks know, how winter kind of compresses the city. The roads get narrower as the snow piles up. Um, and, uh, you know, I, and driving through some, I mean, this is this is a, a, a not a very good neighborhood that they're cruising around it. And so to see what those storefronts are and how many of them are actually occupied. And, um, it, you know, it just, it's, it, I, I gives the book a flavor that I think you wouldn't get if I had, you know, done all my research from my from my office chair.
So here's another thing about winter, which we seldom endure here in Phoenix. And I read about this today. It was an article, I can't remember, it might have been about airports and navigating them in either the Republic or the Wall Street Journal this morning. Unfortunately, we don't get the New York Times on Monday. I try to get all three, so I have a constantly balanced picture. Um, but anyway, because it's so cold, people are wearing many more clothes, and therefore they're moving slower, and therefore moving through the airport, everything gets clogged up in TSA, you know, because you, know, you have to stand and strip at TSA, and they don't care, you know. Um, and so I hadn't thought about that, but, but it slows everything down when people are all bundled up. Well, sure, and, and you have to, you know, people are driving you know, partway into the opposite lane because the, there's so much crud. And, like, in the, especially in the city in Chicago, people park on the streets. So, y you know, they, they might dig themselves out, but not everybody's digging themselves out. Plus, if you step off the curb in New York, you're, you can go down to your knee, you know, in, <laughs> yeah, in yeah. water, slush, snow, whatever yeah. it is, you know. So, I mean, even walking becomes more hazardous. So you brought that into the book. Sure, yeah, yeah. And, and part of the – so there's a lot of – I don't say there's a lot of weather. This is a there's a lot of winter in this book, I guess I'll say. Mm -hmm. um, That's because you were missing your January slot. Apparently so. <laughs> right. Apparently so. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, you know, it's fun to again sort of to create that atmosphere to to you know. So what you know what happens when it's really cold? You you get sort again sort of claustrophobic. You spend way too much time in your house. You're sort of hunched up, and um, so I, you know I wanted to sort of convey kind of all of that. Right, you stuff. even eat differently, you know, it's like soup sure. weather or something like right. that. So we haven't talked about the bad guy, um, because, you know, who in fact went to upstate Wilson and, you know, took the diaries, burned down his house, he makes a miraculous escape. Um, so who's doing it? So you have actually a bad guy who we can talk about, and then there's a kind of possibly shadowy other bad guy. Well, I... This is a book with a couple of different bad guys, yes, yeah. And I, I like to, I like to keep there. I like to keep some mystery. Somebody described me the, 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 the books that I write as thrillers with a mystery in the middle, because um, I don't want to tell you everything. There are, there are some writers who write thrillers who I, I'm a big fan of, but you know, you know who the bad guy is, you know, early on, and you know what their motivation is, you know what their plan is, um, you know, their, their, uh, you know, Iranians, and they want to, they want to nuke the, they want to nu nuke New York. So you sort of already you know what the stakes are and you know who the bad guys are and it's all about how to how it gets stopped. But I I I, I love mystery, so I love that sort of, um, and I think it's one of the things that keeps people turning the pages is because well now wait a minute what what's happening you know you you get you keep getting sucked in and you learn a little bit more, and and your brain starts to churn to think about what else did I learn that might apply here. So I to me that's part of the fun is to uh, kind of have these layers of, um, uh, you know, kind of events and villains. Um, another friend of mine told me, I'm, I'm not a big video game person, but told me it was like, you know, there's the, the small boss and the medium boss and the big boss that you, you know, you beat at the end of the, um, so I, I don't know. Listen, even the first Reacher, The Killing Floor, was like that. Yeah. He didn't know when he rode into the little Georgia town on the bus he didn't know about the bad guys. So it was a mystery that was only revealed at the end. Now it's, you know, much more antagonist. Well, not always even. But to have a thriller, you have to have a, a protagonist and an antagonist. But there's nothing that says you can't have, like, a second antagonist or even possibly two protagonists. It depends on what point of view, you know, you want to take. Well, sure. And that's, I mean, the, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like jazz or the blues where there's a form. And all of the artistry comes in all is in the, the variations that you provide within that form. You know, there are these tropes in crime fiction, right? Like there's the, the bad guy buddy, right? Um, you know, there are, there are all of these. And if you read enough of this, you, you know what these are. But, but to sort of, the, the goal is to uh, make it seem and feel new uh, along the way while still sort of staying mostly faithful to... Not, not to expectation so much, but to the, to the, to the form itself. Um, a crime novel, whether you think about it as a mystery or a thriller or, a, you know, for me, sort of the crime novel is kind of the umbrella. Um, you know, I, I just uh, finished the latest Dennis Lehane, which I don't know if you've read. Um, you mean the one that came out last April well, that we did the book well. launch for? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I actually it's, read it. it. It's the latest for me. Um, cause, cause <laughs> Sorry, I, cause I, I just, just couldn't resist. 
but yeah. but you know he's he is such an eloquent writer yeah and but it you you he, he you you get into it and it's like oh this is absolutely a crime novel like you think this is a you think it's a i don't know what you think this is sort of an american novel but he's he's still you know the machinery is still in there um and it still just sucks you right in and pulls you through it it's so i you know at its i mean i think that's some of the that book especially small mercies is is among the finest thing i've read in in years Oh, Dennis is an amazing writer. I'm not afraid to tackle, you know, all sorts of things. Maybe you could convince him to write another book. Well, you know, I'll detour here because I happen to have this discussion with him. Right now, because he has young children, he can write, he said, I still remember, he said he could write a screenplay while he's babysitting the children or sitting in the car outside of school or, you know, whatever it is. He doesn't need to really focus all that much, but to write a novel... He becomes so immersed in it that the whole world goes away, and he's then not able to look after his kids or do all these other things because he's, or the novel suffers, or his family suffers, whatever. So right now, he's sticking to screenplays because they're easy for him, comparatively speaking. He didn't say that he would never go back to writing novels, you know, but, but he's come to parenthood late. And, you know, so that's taking up his time at the moment. Well, that's, a, that's the right level of priorities right <laughs> is to yeah, yeah absolutely no no quarrel but i it was an interesting his i thought it was intriguing that he could write screenplays you know so easily and found writing a novel to be so deep immersive that it was harder for him to do that anyway let's go back to your your first bad guy the one that we meet early on and he's clearly a hired gun right so because he is, in fact, a professional assassin, um, you have to give him some background on how he got to be that way. So that's kind of fun. Well, it, it is kind of fun. I like bad guys. I love writing bad guys because, um, you know, there's a saying in crime fiction that, um, well, it, that even the villain is the hero in their own mind. So, you you know, to to find the sort of the, the human part of them, even if it's sort of twisted and strange, um, is a lot of fun. And to sort of present them on a page in a way that kind of seems normal, and you just get a little farther in and a little farther in, and you, to sort of suddenly you're in the middle of this worldview, um, that you might find a little disturbing. It's just like having a conversation with a stranger, and suddenly they're saying these things, and um, so I, you know, I, I think a a good villain is really important, um, and that's the other reason why I like to have two because it's you know, hey, if one is good, two is better. <laughs> oh, he has, to, he has to be a really good villain to have both Lewis and Peter after him and, you know, not catching him at the first wrong move. Um, so we'll leave him there. But one more thing, because we keep talking about guys. But And I mentioned earlier the importance of the, um, you know, computer genius, whatever it is. So you brought in June, and fortunately she has research skills. She does. Well, and that's one of the things about being a journalist is that you – you subscribe to certain databases. You have access to, to things. Uh, some of them, uh, you know, it's almost like what the you can't get police records necessarily, but journalists always have their resources, um, and that's one of June's things that June uh, adds to this crew, and that's why she's really part of this this team with with Peter and Lewis is because she uh, both adds to that, and she's not she gets afraid, but she knows what the the value in what they're doing, um, so she's willing to put herself at risk. And and in this book, you, she's become a little bit of an adrenaline junkie. So there's a there's a passage where she talks with uh, Dinah, Lewis's wife, uh, who's also very much in this book. Um, so we also get to see sort of Lewis and his his marital life, and Lewis and his relationship with his kids, um, which was a lot of fun to do. Uh, but you know, Di Dinah was like, so why do you keep showing up for this? And and you know, June's explanation. Uh, was I? You know, it, it's it's worth the price you pay. The title was that your title, no, or did your publisher no. fasten upon it? They were, we had many, many long, ugly conversations about the title. The 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 harder the writing of the book, the the worse the conversation about the title uh, is. The the one thing. So the one thing I learned with this book was to never give myself a working title. Um, because it's sort of the you know it's the name of the document it's sort of how I think of the book, and I had a working title which I will not tell you, which they said no, 
absolutely not. Um, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. Well, it made great sense to me. Um, but so I, that is that is the the one of the lessons I learned from this sure. book. Mostly, mostly I see untitled Peter Ash number nine will be the way this book will come to me <laughs> while everybody's trying to figure it out. The next book, not this book. You know, I love that. Um, I do have one other. Um, I'm having a mental blank here. What was I going to say? What was I going to say? Well, take a question from the audience while I think sure. about it. Sure. Any questions? Yes, ma'am. That might be what you were forgetting that you wanted to do. Was Harper put a link on the novella you did for Lewis and his backstory? Right. right. Tell us about the. Mystery oh yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, so the five months worth of work that I threw out, <laughs> um, I I I sort of. There was a core to it that I really loved, and so that became this novella. It's um, about a sixth of a novel. It's about it's about sixteen thousand words, um, and it's just so it's Lewis in the past. Um, and it's funny that you brought up Donald Westlake um, because I realized that it's a lot like a Parker novel. Um, it's it's um, there's there's humor. There are other pieces to it, but it really is career criminals at their work. Um, and what the consequences are of that, and what the moral variations are of that. Um, so I really like it, and so there's a you can find it um, uh, Mystery Tribune. It's published in Mystery Tribune, which you can uh, their website is Mystery Tribune, and you can that's what you I put can, the yeah. link in, so you can yeah, go and, there. and you can you can buy it there in paper form or in ebook form if you're an e-reader. Thank you. That was actually what I was thinking about. So, other questions from the audience. This is great. She comes so often. I always sits here uh, that we have a sort of mind melt thing going on. Right. Yes, sir. That's actually what I'm working on right now. I am. Um, I, it was, it, I had to twist my publisher's arm. Um, yeah, I am, I am almost done with, um, a standalone set in southwestern Wisconsin in what's called the Driftless region. So it's kind of a a, a, a very geologically unusual part of the country, um, and it's the the they it's it's a little Appalachian. They they use the terminology that they use in Appalachia. So if there if there are hollows and um, and it's it's both uh, it's a dairy farming region and there are no uh, sort of corporate farms. It's all very small holdings, uh, a lot of poverty. Um, there's also kind of, the, it's not far from Madison, Wisconsin, so there's kind of this hippy-dippy element. Um, uh, and there are a bunch of retirees. So it's sort of a, you know, it's sort of a, a melting pot rural place. And because Peter is such a peripatetic person, um, I wanted to write about somebody who was rooted in a place. So there's a guy named Bobby Crookshank who um, has recently gotten out of prison and he is trying to live his life on the straight and narrow. I also wanted to write about somebody who wasn't necessarily a hero, um, but somebody who maybe could be, but somebody who, who certainly is not, as the book begins. Um, but so he's trying, he's doing his best, um, but he comes from a, a family of criminals, basically, except for his little brother, Paul, who kind of got out. Uh, and Paul ends up... Um, dead in the parking lot of a roadhouse, uh, stabbed to death. And the county sheriff really has no idea. The, it, was a, it was a very clean murder, basically. Um, and so Bobby decides that he really needs to know uh, what happened to his brother Paul. Paul is 11 years younger, and Bobby kind of raised him in a way. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of... Uh, you know, kind of heart, but there's also suspense and a little bit of craziness and um, uh, and a lot of family complications. So it's, but but it will. The goal is that it be a world that is recognizable to fans of Peter Ash. It is that same sort of working class, um, you know, ideally, hopefully, fully developed characters. Uh, you know, complex relationships, um, a little uh, bit of uh, you know moral gray area, which is always something I'm interested in. Um, so now I just have to finish the damn thing. So, you know, it's good to give your four protagonists in this book, you know, Lewis and Dinah and Peter and June, 
a break because they've had such a harrowing experience and all that. You know, it doesn't, and I'm serious about that. You know, you don't ever want your characters to be so Teflon that, you know, they bounce back from terrible trauma and you'd think like it never happened. But that does also bring to mind one thing I did want to mention also that you've, you've done a great job with Peter and, you know, the PTSD that he suffers. And you've pointed out resources for people with that in the back of the book. There's a note in the back of the book. And thank you for the shout-out, by the way. Um, but, you know, I, I think that's been an important part of what you've done, um, you know, is to bring that in. In the Northwoods book that I mentioned, the Amy Peace book, the debut, um, that Ken Kruger and I did, her, her character also is suffering from PTSD. And he comes back where in his mom is the sheriff of this little mm. community. Um, so, you know, and I think Jeff Parker wrote a book, at least one, about somebody who's come home from the war. And, yeah. you know, I think it's good that you guys are writing about that, you know, because um, I'm a Vietnam War widow, and so I don't know how it would have been if he had come home from Vietnam. But so many people, you know, suffered so afterward um, and you know, nobody ever wants to talk about it. So if it's actually made it into mainstream fiction now, you know, then it's become a topic that people can discuss. Well, it's yeah, it's it's interesting to sort of the evolution of it. But I, I started writing about it because I had uh, customers. I was a, a, a freelance building inspector. So if you bought a house, you would hire a guy like me to tell you what was wrong with it. And it was after the surge in Iraq that I had customers who were coming home who were, uh, you know, they 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 come home from war. And just because of some strange quirk of who I am, people tell me strange things. It's a wonderful asset for a writer. Mm. Uh, I'll tell you that much. But, you know, we're, when, when, you're, when, you're, when you're in the Army and, and you've been in combat, you don't really have anybody to talk to because your, your family of origin, right, your, your parents, your siblings, your spouse, your kids, um, you don't really want to burden them with that. You don't, you, you might not necessarily feel super proud of some of the things that you've done or seen um, or maybe you maybe you just you know were th went through so much horrible stuff that you don't want to burden them with that you're just going to carry that yourself um, and on the other side your your military community your your military family um, you know that's all about toughness it's all about you know sucking it up and you know pain is just weakness leaving the body um, and not showing your real feelings not being vulnerable um, and so, you know, I'm this, I'm this curious, chatty guy who shows up to tell them what's wrong with their house. And, you know, the, the spouse and, and the in-laws are upstairs measuring for curtains, and I'm down in the basement looking at the furnace, and some guy's wearing an Army T-shirt, or he's got a tattoo, um, or he may have a prosthetic limb. And I say, so you were in the Army? And then, like, often that was all it took, and and oh, I was here, and, you know, and I, I heard the most amazing stories, and that was what got me started, was realizing that just because I read the news about, you know, the, 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 what was happening overseas, I hadn't put enough thought into what it was like to come home, and I was really interested in that and in these young men and women who we had gone to ask to fight these wars who had no idea what they were in for. No idea. Um, and it's really, like... Since the Drifter came out, folks have been coming out of the woodwork to talk to me about it. It's really an, an interesting thing, and it's something I did not at all anticipate. I was actually sort of terrified when the book was going to come out. I was feeling like, who am I to write this story? Um, but to have, have people say, um, how did you know what it feels like in my head? Um, you know, how did you, not, I call it the white static too. Like that, I just, I thought I just made that up. Like that, that came out of, you know, somewhere. Um, but you know, I, the, the messages that I get on social media or emails or, or whatever are, are astonishing. And so it's to be a part of that was not something I never anticipated, but it's a really, uh, kind of an amazing piece of this for me. I think you've done a very good thing there. So any more questions from the audience? Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's the area just sort of south of La Crosse. Patrick, you've emerged, so I'm guessing. Uh oh. 
here. Um, uh, where where is it? I'm sorry. Uh, okay, Robin would like to know uh, what is your average writing day look like? Oh, sure. Uh, a, a, a perfect writing day is I actually wake up early, um, and I do a little exercise. I go for a walk. I go for a run. I go for a swim. Um, I uh, meditate. I found that that has really helped me through the pandemic, and I've sort of stuck with it. Um, it makes makes me less crazy, which is a fine thing. Um, and then I I make my breakfast and a pot of coffee, and it I don't I just bring the whole thing into my office, um, and I start work. And I go. I mean, I sort of treat it like a work day. I I you know I try to be there till five. Um, I might go for a walk after lunch, or go for a walk if I get stuck. Um, I, I have found that to be super helpful. And I'm interested in sort of the neuroscience of creativity, and exercise actually is a big creativity boost. So if I, if, I, if you get stuck, go, you know, do some push-ups, go for a walk, and any of that stuff. And being outdoors also helps. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, uh, I'm always better in the morning. So that's kind of my, I'm, if it's noon and I haven't done anything, I'm in trouble. How long do you meditate for? Uh, 20 minutes usually. So I, I'm, not a, I'm not a super guru. I'm just a... Do you use an insight timer or any of those? I've I've tried a bunch of different apps and I I sort of and a bunch of different guided meditations and I they they were they it really helped me get going but now I find it all annoying so um, <laughs> I don't even set a timer um, yeah yeah um, but it I don't I I have found it to be really instructive because it helps you to look to pay attention to what's going on in your head. And I got, I got into this because this is something that veterans do to help with post-traumatic stress. I was like, well, the pandemic is driving me insane. I should really try this. Um, and it, it helps you see your thoughts, right? It helps you. And, and, and so I will, it also helps me work because I'll be sitting in the morning trying to, you know, think of nothing and to follow my breath. And the book shows up, you know, hey, what if you did this? Um, and so, you know, I say thank you brain uh, that's not what i'm doing right now but don't forget that um but so yeah that's a that's a weird part of my uh, life now oh look at those hands yes ma'am why do you live in milwaukee <laughs> well i grew up in milwaukee oh, okay. um my mom still lives in milwaukee uh my brother and sister are in chicago and uh my wife works at the university so uh uwm um so you know we are <laughs> we we have we have pretty deep ties in the community and i i mean i we love to travel we we go all over but um i you know milwaukee's also just a great town it's it's a very livable place um uh when i was a much younger man i went to summerfest um i i i think i that's my those days are over for me um summerfest is the world's largest music festival it's 10 days or uh, around july 4th what yeah well well i think it's i think it's back to yeah um but uh the whole city changes there are places you can't go because there's just too much going on you could there are people who rent out their house um so anyway i, I love milwaukee and it's a uh, it's a uh, they milwaukee's been good to me too so yes sir No, I try not to save stuff per se. That that I have a I have a trick for this, right? I, I I absolutely think that, and I absolutely want to say where can I shoehorn this in next, but it's a trap. Um, and so my the trick I have to to trick myself out of this is to I copy it and I move it to the very end of the document, and then I forget about it. And I know if I ever need it again, I know where it is, but I never need it again. Um, and I, every time I try to do something like that, it, it's, it, it takes forever and it's never right. Um, so I kind of have a list of sort of ideas or, or, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a note card with a couple of words on it typically. So that's kind of what I do with that kind of stuff. But you ever save those, your note cards? And oh yeah, no, I'll go back. Yeah, I go I, Well, I, I, I always think I might use it, but I, 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 I might I, I tend to if I do it's always in a very abstract form. 
Um, it's no, it's nothing that you would necessarily recognize. But um, I, I have stacks of note cards, and when I finish a book, I start to flip through to sort of be like, so what was I thinking about? Um, and as I come to the end of a book, I'm already thinking about the next book. Um, so that's, I mean, that's sort of my in-between books process. As I clean my office uh, and I kind of go through my note cards and I, you know, clean off my giant bulletin board and, you know, you sort of, uh, you know. Reboot. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. My my hope, I mean, in my head, there's another Peter Ash. Um, my publisher may have a different idea. Um, but one of the interesting things, so I needed a break from these characters in this world, um, but it didn't take very long for me to realize how much I love these characters and how much of me is in these books. And um, as far as I'm concerned, I will be writing Peter Ash until, you know, the, the day before I die. Um, but I do want to stretch. I want to try new things, and um, and, and you know, to it, you, you want to have you want to you want to have something else. Like if if there are readers who are like, well, maybe this is not for me, right? I don't like the veteran piece. I think I I do get stuff every once in a while. I would never have picked up a book about a marine, uh, but then I started reading and. So I, I I'm trying to find a way to have a conversation with the people who would who would never pick up a book about a marine. Um, and to to you know to talk about kind of different kinds of things um, as well. So that's, but I I mean, never say never. Never say never yeah. to a writer. Yeah. It doesn't work out that way, right? Yes, ma'am. Daily. Um, the I go through phases where I hate everything. And that's not about what I'm reading. It's about it's about me. Um, so like I like I just can't read fiction. So then I I, I turn to nonfiction. So actually, C.J. Box and I uh, will trade um, book recommendations um, because he reads a lot of nonfiction. Um, and so I've been diving a little bit more into that. But I, you know, I, I came to this as a reader. I mean, this was re you know, reading was my happy place all the way through my childhood. Um, I, I read a book a day in high school. Um, I did, you know, I didn't have that much of a social life, so. <laughs> <coughs> my, my, my wife still likes to tease me because, like, if my friends wanted to go to the football game, I was not remotely interested in football, and so I would bring my book because I wanted to hang out with my friends, but I, th I w there was no way I was going to pay attention to that. Um, <laughs> So now, of course, Margaret's a Packers fan, so I have become a Packers fan. But <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, I want to thank you all very much for coming tonight. It's so great to see Nick again. I know we've all missed him, so thank you for coming. Well, thank you so much for having me, and thank you guys for braving the weather to come out. Hello. We hope you're enjoying our programs and podcasts with authors. We'd like to expand them, and your help would be appreciated. Please make a donation at poisonedpenfoundation.org. 100% of the proceeds will go to help connect authors with readers in this difficult time. Thank you.